Welcome to It's Your Money, a practical guide for managing the financial resources God has provided. Your host is Christian attorney and financial counselor, G. Edward Reed. Hello and welcome to It's Your Money. These uh, audio recordings are provided for those who want to uh, gain more information from the biblical principles of money management. There will be 12 sessions, and this is number one. We're going to talk, first of all, about the spiritual implications of money management. Uh, Some people ask, why all the fuss about money? One of the interesting things is that we all have lives to live, and we all have uh, money to manage. Uh, Some people recognize that you can go through elementary school, academy, and college and never actually take a course or be required to take one that would... uh, teach you how to balance a checkbook or to buy an insurance policy or buy a car, whatever, just general management. So how do people learn these things? Well, typically it's just trial and error and lots of both. So what we're going to do is to look at this from a spiritual perspective because God understood that we would need to have this and he wants us to have an abundant life. It's kind of interesting also that uh, 2 Timothy, the third chapter in the first five verses there, describe our day And uh, those of us who have a Christian perspective recognize that, based on Bible prophecy, that we're living in the end times. And the Bible says there, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And then follows a great long list of uh, awful things that people do without self-control and brutal and so on. But it's interesting that the first two actually talk about money management. One is actually lovers of money or lovers of themselves. And so what we're going to look at is to see if we can get out of this list of bad things and uh, understand how God wants us to operate. So we're going to uh, look at... Our workbook, those of you who've been at the seminar, you will have a workbook, and if you don't, we'll tell you how to get one at the end of the program today. But we're going to be on page three, and uh, I hope this will help you. I'm sure it will be a good backup to have the material from the It's Your Money book and workbook. We're talking about escalating bankruptcies. It's fascinating to understand today that yet, in spite of the fact that we live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world, for 2001, the the statistics that we have indicate that 29,000 American families declared bankruptcy every week last year. That's 1.4 million families could not make it. And you understand that uh, we have been having prosperous times until the last few months, and we'll talk more about investments at a later session. But I want you to contemplate the idea, is bankruptcy really an alternative for the Christian? We'll talk more about it when we discuss debt, but the Bible indicates that uh, in Proverbs 37, 21, that the wicked borrow and do not repay. We'd like to understand that uh, bankruptcy should be avoided if possible from a Christian perspective. Today we see all kinds of interesting things in the uh, uh, news about us and in the publications. I recently noticed a Forbes magazine cover that showed that the uh, CEOs of large companies now are making up to $100 million a year. And many sports figures make huge salaries. And of course, So You Want to Become a Millionaire and other programs like that attract a lot of attention to people. But what should a Christian do in all of this uh, wealth and concern about finances? I have found something that I call uh, living in the land of the Philistines. 
You remember in the Bible, it's in Judges chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that uh, God said, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall not tear down their altars, but you you have not obeyed my voice. But he says, uh, if you serve their gods, they will be a snare to you. So I'm going to uh, give you a little illustration. You understand that in the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament, there is a place called the land of the Philistines and, of course, the camp of Israel or the land of Israel. And uh, when Samson became involved with the Philistine woman, she was not the girl next door. He actually had gone some distance to become involved with her. So I want to ask you a question today just uh, to contemplate, and that is from a spiritual perspective, uh, say good guys and bad guys, where is the land of the Philistines today? Well, I live in Washington, D.C. area. Frequently people say, well, that must be where it is. Uh, Some people are concerned about the the, uh, escalating crime and violence and so on. But I will tell you that uh, it's not some town that you think of uh, with violence and crime record and all of that. But from uh, the biblical perspective, especially from the New Testament, God says we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth. So we're kind of all mixed in together. People have access to television and just about anything they might want to get involved in today. But uh, it's not all bad that we're mixed in there because we are the salt of the earth. But in money management, frequently the world is salting us more than we are salting it. Now, I want to give you an illustration so that you can understand that. Uh, Frequently, the Bible indicates that uh, debt is bad. But today, many, many people are getting involved in debt, and that's why we have such a high incidence of bankruptcy, as I mentioned earlier. Now, we live today in a society where we want things uh, bigger, probably, and sooner than we would before. But let me just give you housing as as an example. Uh, In some countries of the world, they do not have mortgages. I had a friend uh, from uh, Zambia, Africa, attend one of my seminars, and he couldn't understand the session number eight on housing because the whole thing was on how to finance a house. And uh, he said, in Zambia, there's no such thing as a mortgage. You just uh, build and uh, live in it as you can. At any rate, uh, from a biblical perspective, I will try to give you a little insight right now as to what we'll talk about in session number eight as well. But because of the availability of money and credit today, housing prices have really, really shot up. So like the median house price in the United States now is $147,000. And that's just across the board, the average. Obviously, in the Midwest, you can find them a lot cheaper or a smaller home or in a rural setting. But in large cities, of course, it's much, much more than that. So the average person doesn't have the money to buy a house. So what do they do? Well, they make a trip or two to the bank and they get qualified and they find the house that they want and they borrow the money. And uh, let's speak first about the Philistines. If they uh, want to buy or build a house and they don't have the money, they'll borrow the money. And what is the typical time that they will take to pay it back? Well, anyone who is generally familiar with house financing knows that's 30-year mortgage in the United States. Uh, That's uh, only typical here because some countries, as I mentioned, do not have mortgages. But some places, like in Japan, if you lived in Tokyo or one of the large cities there, you may have a 100-year mortgage, and it takes three generations of people to pay it back. But typically, it's 30 years. So let's just say that a Christian person decides that he wants to buy or build a house. What will he do? 
Well, typically they will do exactly the same thing and get a 30-year mortgage. And uh, that may be the way to set it up to begin with. But you understand housing costs so much because credit is available. Think about this. How much would the average house sell for if uh, money was not available to borrow and to pay back? At any rate, uh, what should a Christian do? Well, the Bible indicates that uh, Christians or Bible believers should not be in debt longer than seven years. And you have that principle uh, from Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, and other places like that. So what we're going to try to do is to help people uh, to uh, uh, put their mortgage in perspective and to pay it off uh, in a uh, quicker time, that is to accelerate the mortgage. And I've done this personally twice, and it really helps, and a lot of people have come to me and... uh, felt that it was a benefit. So credit cards, many other things, we take our cues more from the world than we do uh, from uh, the Bible perspective. So let's take our Bibles now, and we're actually going to go to the sixth chapter of Matthew. And this is kind of an interesting setting because it is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And most of you are aware that that's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And when you look at Matthew from this perspective, my Bible is a red letter edition, so all the words of Jesus are in red. Right in the middle of this famous and longest recorded sermon of Jesus, we find these words in Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, this is kind of a fascinating thing because we actually see here that uh, we're talking about concerned politicians, other people today, but people are wondering, should I save up money? But the Bible says, don't store it up on this earth. Uh, To me, that's quite a fascinating thing to see because it seems like the logical thing to do. But do store up treasures in heaven. Now, this to me is uh, pretty interesting, and I will try to make it uh, plain for you here when we look at Matthew 6, 19, and 20. If you, by the way, the Bible is not telling us not to store up treasures. It's just saying store it up where it will be safe. So how do you store up treasures in heaven? When you look through the Bible, there's actually uh, a number of ways that you can answer that question, but there's only two answers that you get over and over again. And I'll try to give you a perspective on that. One of them was the uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And uh, he probably was in the category of uh, a group of people today that we call dinks. That's uh, dual income, no kids. He's coming up in his fancy car and says to Jesus, what can I do that I could inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus didn't tell him to sell everything to begin with. What he said is uh, keep the commandments. And he said, well, which commandments? So Jesus uh, actually started quoting some of the Ten Commandments. And uh, what actually happened in this case is he said, well, you can stop. I've been doing that since I was little. What do I lack yet? And Jesus told him to sell what he had and give to the poor and follow him. Now, a lot of people miss the next phrase. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them mention this story. He says, thereby you will store up treasures in heaven. So helping others is one of the ways that we store up treasures in heaven. It's uh, fascinating also to understand today that uh, there's another way, and that is by helping to advance the cause of God. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I will share with you this general principle. We know that we can't take anything with us from earth 
earth to heaven, but we can send it on ahead, and we can do that by helping others and helping advance the cause of God. The economy is of such importance to people today that actually elections turn on whether the economy is doing well or not. And of course, politicians are always interested in this, and they spend a great deal of time with it. We're going to look at another passage, and that's 1 John. And this particular passage is uh, pretty fascinating. It's 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I use the New King James Version in my study and speaking, and I will just read that so you'll get the picture there. This is uh, beginning with chapter 2 of 1 John, the little epistle of John, and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now this verse 17 is the real critical one. This other part just sets the stage. And it says, the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, I'm a, I'm a believer in ecology and recycling trash and keeping our places clean and so on, but we're not going to save the planet. The Bible says it is passing away and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And I believe this is very, very important for Christians to understand that, that what we see here today is actually going to pass away. And we actually want to work with God in... Uh, uh, such a way that we have an abundant life and a positive experience here with him, but that we also follow along to know the Lord and to know his will in this area. Sometimes people wonder, well, is money management really that interesting to, to God, or is it that big a deal with him? And the, the real answer is, yes, indeed it is. In fact, there are more than 2,000 references in the Bible to money and our attitude toward money and possessions. It is one of the most prominent topics in the Bible. And we're going to talk uh, in our next session more about the biblical stories of people just as an illustration for us. But suffice it to say that the parables of Jesus, uh, two-thirds of them deal with money management and possessions or attitude toward them. And many of the kingdom parables do. I'll give you just a little illustration so you can understand. One of them is Matthew thirteen forty-four. And when you look at this particular parable, it's just a one-verse parable, and there's really not an explanation given, but because of the context, we can understand what Jesus means here. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, you understand that uh, Jesus is taking something common that the people understood and knew in his day, and he tries to make an application of it so that we can properly judge the value of things today. In the days of Jesus, it was common for people to uh, walk across the property of another. There, wasn't, there weren't very many roads, actually, in those days, and that's, there weren't very many fences either because the people who had animals would either hire someone or themselves be the shepherd to keep them all together and to take them to pasture and water and so on. So in Jesus' illustration, a man is walking across a field. Maybe he's actually tending the field. Maybe he's a sharecropper. At any rate, he finds this treasure. 
And immediately he recognizes that someone probably put it there in an attempt to uh, save it for later use. You understand back in those days, we didn't, they didn't have banks as we know them today or federal deposit insurance and so on. So people that really wanted to, to uh, save their money would frequently hide it at some place. The big question, of course, is who would you tell if you did that? And uh, if someone told no one and then lost his life some way in battle or sickness or whatever, who would know where it was? And so it was not uncommon to find such things. And the man who found this treasure knew that the present owner probably didn't even know that it was there. And so he decided that he would buy the field because the uh, treasure would go with it. But the Bible says something interesting. It says that for joy, he was actually happy to do this. He went and sold all that he had and uh, buys the field. Now, sometimes we would feel sorry for this guy because it cost him everything. But you really don't feel sorry for him because what he got was, in his mind, much better than what he actually got. So what I'll tell you is, in this particular story, we need to actually understand the value of uh, what God has for us as compared to what we have down here. Now, I have uh, used the illustration of uh, the great span of time, even the time that we know about 6,000 years of this earth, how would our life compare? And of course, when you uh, contemplate eternity, it's really even different than that. But let's just say that your life is about a quarter of an inch long compared to all of time. But uh, if you recognize your life then as a dot or a period, just think about eternity as a line that goes on from that dot and has no end. It will just go and go and go, uh, whether north, south, east, or west. There's no end to it. It will break off from the earth and just go on and on and on. So if you're smart, would you concentrate on the dot or the line? Well, it's really kind of a no-brainer, but many people, including the rich young ruler, and I think that's why God put that or allowed it to be inspired in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three synoptic gospels have that story because we don't realize it so much, but this man traded this earth and all its problems for all of eternity. And uh, it's incredible when you understand it from that perspective. So we want to see as we go through these particular stories, and we're going to look at a number of them, what happens in the world. Now, you can listen to radio stations, non-Christian radio stations that have all kinds of money management things on them. And uh, I'm going to give you just a little illustration. Uh, for those of you that have the workbook, we're on page four and looking at number three. And I want to talk to you about worldly finance gurus. This is interesting. A number of years ago, uh, two or three different uh, families came to me and wanted me to, uh, uh, as an attorney, to take a gentleman to court for them. His name was Charles Givens. He was uh, the man who wrote the book, Wealth Without Risk. Now, you understand, of course, that it is neither possible to get wealth or keep it without risk. But he wrote this book, Wealth Without Risk, and it became a number one seller on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was there for weeks and weeks. The man's name was Charles Givens. Anyway, he would go around to hotels, uh, motels uh, where they had a conference room and would rent the place and and uh, have do seminars for people, telling them how to get rich. And frequently, people would buy the materials that he had. In those days, it cost $475 for the videos and the tapes and the workbook and all of that, so you could become a millionaire. 
And uh, what he actually had was a little prospectus called Personal Prosperity. And uh, I have one here in my hand, and I'm just going to read from the cover. If you've got 20 minutes a month, I guarantee to work a financial miracle in your life. Now, miracle gives you the idea that it might be Christian, but you would look in vain through the material to try to find any biblical references to uh, money management or anything about tither offerings. And he also called himself the prophet of profit. And of course, when you read through the perspective, uh, the prospectus here, there's lots of things that you'd like to know the answer to, but they're not given there. You have to buy the materials. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing that these people who contacted me wanted me to sue to get their money back. It's fascinating, however, that all I had to do was say, read the fine print. There's no guarantees. So you just learned your lesson for $475. It is fascinating, however, that... Uh, uh, I had a little sticky note that I put on this that uh, Charles Givens was uh, convicted of 35 counts of fraud in the state of Iowa. In that case, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where I went to the federal district court there, he uh, had encouraged people to drop their uninsured motorist and invest the difference there, the money that they would save. But as it turned out, some people got in trouble and needed that insurance. And when the investigation was done, they found that Charles Givens didn't drop his, but he was encouraging other people to do that. But the fascinating thing to me about all of this is that I read the national news magazines, and I found on uh, in U.S. News and World Report magazine, July 27, 1998, something really, really fascinating. And uh, it's sad in a way, and it's very sad anytime anyone passes away. But in the people in the news section, there's a picture of Charles Givens, author of Wealth Without Risk. Now, I should tell you that in the prospectus that he uh, gave to people that encouraged them to buy the materials, it showed him there on uh, television with Larry King and speaking to the president, and one of them shows him by his Learjet with his coat slung over his shoulder, and uh, then there's a picture of him with his car collection and his Mercedes and Bentley and Porsches and other things like that. And uh, then the fascinating thing about it, though, is... Uh, in this uh, U.S. News article, it says this author of Wealth Without Risk and other books amassed millions in the 80s, but in the 90s he faced lawsuits and fraud investigations. In 1996, a California jury ordered him to refund $14 million to customers there. Now here's the final end of all this. It says his company filed for bankruptcy protection. He later lost control of it, and on July 12, 50, uh, Givens, age 57, died of cancer. Now, the point I'm going to make is he died without any money and apparently didn't send any on ahead. It's a sad situation when you look at it from that perspective. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because the Bible already had told us what to do, and the answer is in Psalm 1, 1 and 2. And so, here you have it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Well, to me, uh, you can understand there's a lot of good things you can learn from people, even from a worldly perspective, of how to take the proper tax deductions or encouragement to save and so on. But a lot of these people tell you to... Uh, 
pay yourself first. But when you look at the biblical principles that we're going to be looking at through these series, you understand that God says in everything we do, put him first, and then he'll direct our paths and bless us and give us wisdom and insights. So I want to share with you a little statement that uh, is in volume four of the Testimonies, page 391. Many are going directly contrary to the light which God has given to his people because they do not read the books which contain the light and knowledge in cautions, reproofs, and warnings. So what we look at now is actually a biblical foundation that God wants us not just to be concerned about the mission work and uh, the the, uh, tithe and offerings that we give to the Lord, but to recognize that he's the owner of everything and that he is the one who has blessed us and will continue to bless us. There are great insights that we can gain from God's Word to have a more stress-free life, to live uh, debt-free and in harmony with uh, biblical principles that will indeed help us to uh, understand more carefully and more uh, surely what God has done for us. So I'm going to share with you that if we live in the world, we can be here and manage as we should, but do so with biblical principles. Then you will understand that your family will be properly taken care of. You'll have the uh, insights for training your children properly. And we're going to look at many of these principles as we go through the sessions. And I encourage you to uh, try to practice these things in your own life and to recognize that eternity and internal life is actually in the balance and it is actually worth everything that we have here. And we can store up treasures in heaven. By the way, Satan also has a plan for our money, and he would like us to think all the time about uh, spending for ourselves or spending more than we have and so on. But of course, his idea is not to have happy families, but to break families up and so on. So what I want to encourage you as we look at these principles is to make God's word your companion and to recognize as you study through it that you can see that those who follow God's will are blessed and that those who go off on their own, I call this like a frolic and banter of their own, they're not really uh, planning and not organized, but they are looking for principles that uh, uh, will make them rich in this world and by this rich standard. But when we look at eternity, we recognize that eventually all that we have here is going to be burned up. So the most important thing is to be ready when the Lord comes and to have stored up treasures in heaven. We'll look forward to talking with you in uh, the following sessions. And please have your Bibles handy when you listen to these. And if you have the It's Your Money seminar, that it will be a benefit to you to look at the workbook during this time as well. Until next time, God bless you, and uh, I hope these principles will benefit your family as you contact uh, biblical principles and look at the biblical principles of money management. And we're hoping that the It's Your Money book and these sessions will be a benefit to each one who listens, and uh, I thank you for taking the time to be concerned about God's plan for managing your money. been listening to It's Your Money, 
with Christian attorney and financial counselor G. Edward Reed. If you'd like to learn more about developing financial strategies from a Christian perspective, call 1-800-328-0525 and ask for the companion It's Your Money book and workbook written by Mr. Reed. You can also order individual It's Your Money CDs by name or topic. Call 1-800-328-0525 or visit online at www.adventsource.org.